Good morning, everyone. And uh, really excited to be here and uh, just really appreciate uh, the invitation to come and share with you about um, the work that God has called uh, me and my family to, but also to really uh, to share from God's word. It's always exciting. Uh, again, I'm Paul Mackey. My wife, Michaela, is in the back. Uh, we have two little boys, Nehemiah, seven months uh, old, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, Kathy Strickland's holding, and then our little boy, Judah, two and a half years old, back there somewhere. And uh, God has really put it on our hearts uh, for some time now to, to go to the people of Japan, uh, to downtown Tokyo, and partner with a church there to, uh, to labor alongside the believers in bringing the gospel to Japan. Uh, and while we were both in Bible college, God really opened up our, our hearts and our eyes to the needs of the Japanese people. And uh, we began to say, well, what can we do about it? And uh, we have had some opportunities to spend some time there, uh, several months, a few different trips, and to uh, really be a part of the church and uh, see what God is doing. And God's just given us a growing burden to go and uh, partner with the Japanese people in reaching the over 99% of Japanese people who don't know the Lord. So it's a very needy country. Um, and uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about um, our, our ministry there and what that looks like uh, at, towards the end of the sermon. Um, I really want to take some time to look at a passage of scripture that I think is uh, really pertinent, not just for us thinking about missionaries on the other side of the world and the work that God's called us to, but really the work of the church. And uh, it is the work of the church um, begins here in our local communities and then stretches out all the way to the other side of the world. Um, that's where our burden is to really work with the church and doing what, uh, continuing to do what God has already begun um, in, in Tokyo. So this morning, I'm going to be uh, uh, sharing from the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 8. And uh, I love this passage because it's such a beautiful uh, picture of, of Christ's final moments here on earth and really just seeing um, his purpose and his plan, uh, but that he doesn't leave uh, the apostles uh, and his church uh, empty handed. He, this is work that he's prepared. And uh, it's exciting to look at um, Christ's final words to them. And I think we can learn a lot from this today. Uh, the book of Acts is also a beautiful book. Um, because it really is the acts of God through the apostles. It's the acts of God through the church and what he was accomplishing um, in the world. How, how did we get from a bunch of believers in Jerusalem to the gospel spreading all over the world? And it just is this incredible, beautiful unfolding of God's plan to, uh, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth by the power of his Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm going to just have a, a look at a few things today in this passage. I think we're going to see just how uh, central the resurrection is to God's plan, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing that plan, and then God's plan for the church, which is us, the church locally and the church globally. So let's read Acts chapter 1 in verses 1 through 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the first thing that I want to look at here, uh, which if we look at the end of Luke's gospel, especially, is just how central the resurrection is and how Christ so graciously deals with people that he's spent so much time with and told them over and over and over again, he's going to be crucified, be buried and then rise from the dead. He even told them, you know, that I mean, he's going to come back from the dead. He's told them this and yet they doubt But Christ reassures them and reassures them and reassures them. And he spends 40 days on earth with them. Um, And just want to take a few moments to look at this because uh, it is it is so central to our faith. And I think that's why we see Christ being so patient with these doubting disciples. Let's read those first three verses again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, so here we see all this time that Christ is spending with the disciples. And I always think of 1 Corinthians 15 as being a passage that is just really drives home how central the resurrection is to our faith. In verses 17 through 19, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If Christ hasn't been raised, we really have no hope in this world. The reason is, is our entire faith rests on the resurrection. Why? It's because none of us can earn our salvation. We are not here today because we are the elite of the world who've managed to find a way to overcome the curse and turn it on its head. We are not the ones who've found this way that we can be good enough people to earn God's favor. Every other religion of the world tells you how to reach God. Our faith alone, the Bible alone, tells us You know, that sounds like hopeless news. No, there's none righteous. No, not one that we all are deserving of the eternal judgment of God. But God, being so rich in his grace and mercy, has chosen to enter into our sinful, broken world and to reach out to us, not because of anything we deserve, but because of his grace. And so if the death, burial and resurrection of Christ did not take place, then our hope for salvation doesn't exist because our hope rests entirely on the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I shared in the Sunday school class that I was saved uh, around four years old. I placed my faith in Christ I need his grace just as much today as I did that day. 
the day that I place my trust in Christ. I am just as desperately in need of the grace and forgiveness of God today. And it's so important for us to keep these things in mind as we go through our lives, as we approach the work that God has given us, as we fulfill our call as the church. Something that I think is really telling here, too, is the nature of Christ and that Christ came to his disciples here and throughout the Gospels to prove his resurrection to them over and over again. As I said, they should have known Christ spent three years with them. He told this was told them this was going to happen. And then when Christ died, they just kind of threw in the towel and went home. They thought it was over. And even when he came back from the dead, he had to keep reassuring them and We need to remember to be this gracious with each other. We can look at the disciples and say, man, what a bunch of thick skulled guys. How could they not get it? Look at Jesus is telling them again. He's showing them again and they don't get it. We can do the same thing with Israel. Paul says to the church uh, at Corinth of Israel, he says, these things happened as an example for you. Basically, you are just as weak and prone to doubt God and turn away from him as the people of Israel were. And so we need to remind ourselves of that as we deal with each other in being gracious and also in being proactive and reminding each other of what's true, encouraging each other as the church and building each other up, just as Christ was so gracious and so merciful with the disciples. And then also with the people around us who are lost. Um, Japan is a very difficult, hard culture um, to, to, to bring the gospel to. Uh, there's so much resistance and uh, We need to view those people as people who are separated from God. They they need God's grace just as much as we did. We were no better than them when Christ brought us to himself. One last thing on this point, I think, is uh, just a really powerful passage is Ephesians chapter 2. And it just reminds us again how much this is the work of God and not our own. In Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We can never forget this. And it's central. It's at the end of the book of Luke. As we look at the Luke closes uh, his gospel this way, and he begins the book of Acts this way, where we have this chance to see Christ saying, this is so central. Never forget it. We don't move past the gospel as we mature. We move deeper into it, and we need to bring that to everyone around us. The second thing that we see here is the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 4 through 8 together. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I've, I've been to Bible college and I've studied and, uh, you know, grown deeper in God's word. And I feel so much more equipped now than I did before I went in some ways, because before I went, I thought I knew everything. Then I went to Bible college and realized how little I knew. But these guys didn't just sit under the top professors at a biblical university. These guys sat under Jesus himself. After three years of studying with Jesus, not just going to class, but living with him day in, day out, sitting under his teaching, seeing him perform miracles. These men, Jesus sends back to Jerusalem and says, I want you to wait because you're not ready yet. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit because this is his work. This wasn't the work of the disciples. Wasn't, this isn't the work that we are going to accomplish. This is the work that God accomplishes by the power of his Holy Spirit through the church. I sometimes think, you know, there's all this, all these problems in the church. If Christ was still here, he'd straighten it out. You know, why didn't he just stick around and kind of be the administrator, coordinate everything? And Jesus' disciples thought the same thing. Well, Jesus wants us to do all this work. Well, he's going to stick around forever. And then Jesus said, no, actually, I'm leaving, and it's better that I leave. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 16, and verses, uh, starting in verse 5. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And it was better that he left so that the Holy Spirit would come and continue the work that Christ had begun. And it's important for us to remember that, to not feel like we this is just the work that we have to do. This is God's plan, and he is accomplishing it by the power of his Holy Spirit through the church. And three ways just to, to, I think, are important for us to think about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, in the church here, is first of all, his work in, in each of us and in us corporately as a body of believers as he sanctifies us. It is not just grace that brings us to salvation. It is not just grace that saves us. It is grace that transforms us into the image of Christ. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives molding us into the image of Christ. Or as someone said, you know, as um, you know, a sculptor is carving away a, from a piece of marble to make uh, a statue, what he's actually doing is carving away everything in that statue that isn't the final product. And the Holy Spirit is removing from us that which is not Christ in us and making us uh, in the image of Christ. So it is the Holy Spirit at work in us as we confront our sin, as we confront our weakness, um, I know I can be so discouraged by my own depravity, my own selfishness, and to think, after all this time, I'm still this prideful and this sinful. I thought I moved past this. And the grace of God is still there. The Holy Spirit is still working, and he still gives us hope that it is not our best efforts that are going to give us victory over our own brokenness and our own sinfulness, even the own brokenness, not just in my life, but within our church. 
where we have weaknesses and tensions and conflicts, these are things that we can trust God is working to resolve. The second thing is, is that we can trust that the Holy Spirit is not only at work transforming us, but at work through us. As we share with others the gospel of Jesus Christ, both with each other and encouraging each other and reminding each other of what is true, counseling one another and building each other up, but also in going out and sharing with the lost, we can trust that the Holy Spirit has not only prepared us for that encounter through his sanctifying work, but he is working through us to accomplish his work and his purposes and those that we minister to and with. And that gives us hope and confidence in knowing that we are actually instruments in the Redeemer's hands, instruments in his hands that he is wielding to accomplish his purpose. And then lastly, he's at work in the others that we're ministering to. And we have the opportunity to be a part of the work that he is doing. But when we go and we share the gospel with someone or we share encouragement, when we bear another person's, another believer's burdens, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, too. That's how any of us came to know Christ, is that God drew us to himself. We were dead in our sins. And God began that work in us. And if he's bringing us into an encounter with someone to share the gospel with them, we can trust that God is at work in that person's life as well. Second thing that I notice here is that God has already established his plan. Acts 1-7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. This is God's plan, and we get to play a small part in it. The disciples wanted to know, what's the big picture? What's going on? What's going to happen next? And Christ called them to be faithful. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 2.10. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this word workmanship can also be translated masterpiece. I love going to art museums and I always have, I'm not great at art myself, but I've always enjoyed appreciating the work, especially of the masters. And if you go and you see someone like Raphael or Leonardo, one of their paintings, and I love the ones that are as, as big as this back wall or bigger, these huge paintings. And I think how much thought had to go into all of this coming together to make this monumental masterpiece. And you think of all those brush strokes. That's what I think of when I read this passage. So I think of this grand masterpiece, which is God's redemptive plan through history. God has this. He, he has it planned out in our lives are but a brush stroke on that canvas. But they're a brush stroke in the hands of the master. And we can have hope in that. And often can be so discouraging as we face turns and twists in our lives, difficulties and hardships, frustrations, that we think, how can this be a part of God's plan? And we need to zoom out and recognize our lives are a brushstroke on this canvas and that God is doing something not just in our lives, not just in my life, but in our church and not just in our church, but in our community, in our state, in our country, in our world, but not just in our world, in history. And things make sense. They will make sense in view of the grand masterpiece. We may not get to see that now. The disciples wanted to see that they wanted to pull out and recognize where their brushstroke made sense. The important thing is not exactly what the brushstroke of our life looks like, but that the master holds the brush and that he is the one painting 
the canvas. And so this gives us hope in knowing that whatever we're facing is coming through the hands of a loving, good, sovereign God, and that we have the joy of knowing that whatever it is has purpose because it's coming through the hands of such a good and powerful, perfect creator and Lord who is our Father and who loves us. And again, this gives us difficulty and gives us hope and comfort in difficult things. And it gives us hope to face the challenging things that lie before us. The task of bringing the gospel to the world is too monumental for any of us. It is daunting to think of bringing the gospel to a, a lost, hardened heart, unless this is the work that God has prepared and he is doing it. There are steps he has prepared for us to walk in. And as we step out and are faithful, we're stepping out not because we're good enough, not because we are competent for this, but because God has prepared a path before us and we faithfully do the next thing he gives us to do, trusting that he will provide as he always has. He's not going to break his track record um, of, of being faithful. Looking at verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And again, this is by God's power through the work of his Holy Spirit. As we think of reaching Maine with the gospel, we talked you know, about the Gospel Alliance Conference this weekend. Really, the goal of that is to see a network of thriving gospel-centered churches all across Maine working together to reach Maine with the gospel, to bring light to the places that don't have it. That's a huge task. We need to stop measuring ourselves against the tasks and start measuring the tasks against our God and to realize this is the work that God wants to do and he will. And the same for my wife Kiki and I and our goals and plans, our desire to go to Japan. It's daunting and scary. But we know that our lives rest in the hands of God and that this is his work. And if he has called us to the work, he will provide for the work. Second thing I love here is that Christ says, you will be my witnesses. This isn't, it's not in order. It's not, you, you, you will be my witnesses. This is what you're going to do as much as Christ is saying, this is what is going to happen. And I love this because when we rewind back to Genesis chapter one, we see the power of the word of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And a king might say, so let it be written, so let it be done. And he has so much power that people do what he says. But when God speaks, it is. It's so sure and certain, as certain as the world was created by his mere word. And that same word he has said to his church, you will be my witnesses in these places. This is the work that I have prepared. Now walk in it because I have said it will be and it, it will be because he is truly the sovereign God and we can trust him. Lastly, we see the plan for the church in Acts 1.8. talks about a little bit of geography here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at the geography and see what we learn here. 
The first thing we see is it begins in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And where did Jesus just send them back to? To Jerusalem. Where does it begin? At home, where they are. And the work of the kingdom, the work of the church begins here in our community. It begins in our families. It begins in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. This is where the work of the church begins. The more my wife and I have moved towards missions, the more we've studied missions in scripture, the more we've seen really what we're doing is we're going to the other side of the world to do the work that we're called to do right here. And this is a mission field. Maine is a mission field. Southwest Harbor is a mission field. Your home, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, these are a mission field. And we are called here. And not only are we called here, but God has provided for the work here. He has put you here for this work. He's put you in these relationships for this work. And you can have confidence that he will provide just as much as he will provide for somebody going and doing things on the other side of the world. It takes courage to be faithful here. Never forget that. Second, Judea and Samaria. So not just a view for our local community, but a view beyond that. Judea and Samaria really represented for them their country and even crossing into Samaria culture that um, really was uh, pretty uncomfortable for the Jewish people. But God was saying, uh, this, I, this is going to go beyond just Jerusalem. This is going to go out to your country and to the surrounding area. And I am so excited um, just seeing what's happening here in Maine where churches are looking to work together and saying there's all these pockets around our, our state that have no gospel influence. How can we fill in those gaps? How can we have eyes to, to reach these areas? How can we partner together and work together as local churches to send people where there is no gospel light? And how can we encourage each other and build each other up so that we can fill this entire state, this nation with the gospel? We need to have eyes that go beyond just our local community and to realize that God has eyes too. It's a daunting task, but it's only daunting when we measure ourselves against it instead of measuring the task against our God and saying, he can do this. He has prepared for this work. Lastly, we see, he says, the ends of the earth. I don't think there's a limit there. When we fly to Tokyo, it takes us about uh, 15 to 18 hours. We're 14 hours ahead. So we get to go to the future. Um, But it's very far away. I can't think of too many places further away than Japan. And um, some are called to go. And for us, God has really put a burden on our heart to go to the people of Japan. That burden really came as we were just seeking God and seeking to be faithful where we were at. Both of us in Bible college, I shared um, in Sunday school, just uh, I'll share briefly that basically God brought us to a place of saying, God, you are our king and our God, and we want to serve you. Where would you have us go? And I never wanted to be a missionary. That wasn't my childhood aspiration. I actually said, God, I don't want to be a missionary or a pastor. I'll do anything else for you. And God said, oh, well, I have different plans. And he's changed the desire of my heart. And in that place where I was willing to serve God, and uh, Michaela was willing to serve God, God 
brought a need before us. And um, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah hears God say, who will go for me and whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. And so for us, we're answering the call of God. What does that look like? Um, Basically, some time between this fall and next spring, we'd like to be in Tokyo, Japan, and we'd like to spend the rest of our lives there um, to to invest with the local church in the work God is already doing. So I mentioned before, over 99% of the Japanese people would say they, they don't trust in Christ. There's a very small percentage of the population that are believers, and we really want to continue the work that God's doing and to labor in that mission field. And uh, we're really um, looking for people and churches to partner with us in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's exciting for me during our, our, the prayer time together this morning, just hearing missionary after missionary after missionary that this church is not, not just supporting, but praying for and caring about what's going on in their lives. And we need that. We need people, the church here, to send people to go. And... Um, you know, we also want to uh, see this church send out people from their own midst. We're being sent by Christ the King Church in Belfast, and we would love to see, you know, um, members of this church who may feel called to go. If anybody does feel that burden, does feel a call um, to, to be involved in reaching people around the world, we would love to talk with you more about that as well. Kind of. Recapping everything that we've talked about here, this is really God's plan doesn't just end here. It goes to the ends of the earth. But we need to keep in mind the centrality of the resurrection. Again, preaching the gospel not only to ourselves, but to each other every day. We don't move past the gospel. We move deeper into the gospel as as we mature. It becomes more and more and more important to us. Not because it wasn't important before, but because we realize it's gravity. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Secondly, the power of his spirit. This is his work by his power. It's his plan, and he's accomplishing it through us. These are the works that he has given us to walk in. Let's be faithful in that. And then lastly, as we think of missions, we need to recognize that this is the call of the church This is God's plan for the church. It begins here. This is your Jerusalem. Being faithful here as a community and being faithful as you look out into your families, your your neighborhoods, workplaces. We need to be faithful here because this is the first place that God has called us to. And this work matters as much as the work on the other side of the world. And it takes just as much dependence on God and just as much grace for it to be done. Second, partner to reach Maine. Encourage many of you can make it to that Gospel Alliance for Maine conference this weekend. You know, it's a great opportunity to just see what is God doing around Maine and what does it look like to be a part of that, to have eyes to see how can we build relationships with other churches and work together to reach our entire state with the gospel. What would that look like? It's big, but God can do it. And then lastly, I encourage you to continue to be a church that sends missionaries, as I see you are, and look for them in your midst. Our churches cultivated us. We came from two different... I'm from upstate New York. Um, Michaela grew up here in Maine. But our churches 
saw the burden in us and encouraged it and fanned that flame and helped us go and explore the burden that God was putting on our hearts to be missionaries in Japan. And uh, it's just a, a blessing to have a church that is not only willing to send missionaries who, who come in, but also to, to send out missionaries from your midst and pray for that, continue to pray for that. Be willing to go um, both here to this community and abroad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we thank you for this time together. God, we thank you that we can gather around your word and Lord, that you have risen. Lord, that you have confirmed it um, by your word and that there are so many eyewitnesses and uh, just so much um, that, that shows us, Lord, your resurrection and that it's sure. And Lord, our hope is bound up in that. And we thank you for the hope of our salvation, which rests in your work, not our own. We just praise you for your magnificent grace and mercy towards us, for your incredible love. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit who indwells us and works amongst us, works through us, Lord. We thank you for bringing us to to saving faith. And we thank you that you continue to mold us into your image. And God, we thank you that as we go out about your work, we can trust that it's your work that you are doing through us. We pray that we would preach the gospel to each other every day and remind each other that this is your work that you're accomplishing. Help us to bear each other's burdens, to encourage each other. And we pray that we would be bold and courageous like David, Lord, the only one who measured Goliath against his God instead of himself against Goliath. Lord, may we measure the task of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, but also to our family members, to our neighborhood, to our schools, to our co-workers. Lord, may we approach these things prayerfully, these opportunities prayerfully, trusting that you will provide. And may we have eyes to see the needs beyond our community, to Maine, the U.S., and the world, Lord. Give this church wisdom and provision to be a part of that work here and around the world. Thank you for this opportunity, God, and we pray your blessing on the rest of this service that you might be lifted up and glorified in our time together in worship and in fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.